Welcome to the FNF Coaches Podcast. This is our first one of 2020. We're excited because we have a lot of fun things in store for 2020 uh, with six, six print publications coming your way. We've also got the FNF Coaches website, fnfcoaches.com, which we update daily. Uh, on the website, we have the FNF Coaches Talk, which includes the three biggest news stories of the day. We kind of vet those out, search them, and then do a daily blog post so that you don't have to spend your time looking for stories that are relevant to you as a high school football coach. This podcast is going to be, uh, we did one or two in 2019, and we're going to do them much more regularly in 2020. And we've also got the weekly newsletter. If you aren't signed up for that, you can go to the fnfcoaches.com page. Go to the subscribe tab and then uh, just sign up for the weekly newsletter. It's free. We'll get you the eight to 10 biggest stories that we've published, either that we've written or that we found when we've been vetting out stories for the FNF Coaches Talk column. We're currently working on the February edition of FNF Coaches. That's going to have a coach of the year theme. What we did is we recognized 50 coaches of the year, one from each state at the high school level. We're giving you a short, brief summary of what each coach did to um, become our selection for Coach of the Year. Uh, in some cases, it's a, a coach leading a program that has never won a state championship before, and they're winning their first one in school history. In other ones, we've got uh, you know state championship game coaching heroics going for two right at the end of regulation to to put their team over the top instead of taking the tie into overtime. We've got a lot of fun stories in there for coach of the year. And one of the one of our regular writers who we're going to have on today, Derek Smith, he does our monthly coaching legend feature and it's become one of my favorite features that we do on FNF coaches for a variety of reasons and we'll get into those, but right now I'm going to welcome Derek. Derek, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, Dan, uh, thanks to be here. I've uh, never done a podcast, but looking forward to it today. Yeah, I'm just getting started with these two, so uh, <laughs> no pressure. Uh, you know, we, we don't have a huge audience for these things yet. Hopefully we will as the year goes on, but we're kind of working out the kinks, so um, I appreciate you taking the time. Now, Derek, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, uh, your sports writing background? I know you're in North Carolina and uh, have written for some major, pu- major publications down there. Yes, sir. Um, grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I went to the University of Georgia, spent some time down there working in both radio and newspaper before I came back to Charlotte about 20 years ago and settled here. But my um, first job was in radio and newspaper in a small community called Tifton, Georgia, down in South Georgia, pretty good high school football area down there. I spent some time in Brunswick, Georgia, out on the coast of uh, Georgia between Savannah and Jacksonville, did some radio work there. Also spent some time in Statesboro, Georgia, worked for the Georgia Southern University Sports Radio Network, uh, the affiliate radio station there, and then been working up here in North Carolina for several magazines and newspapers and a radio station here for about the last 20 years. So I've kind of settled into North Carolina. I've come back home after all those years in Georgia. Yeah. That, now, what brought you uh, to the University of Georgia? Was it, um, I would imagine, if you're looking to get into sports writing, the football program's great there. It's a, a lot of great sports teams. Is that Was that kind of the major appeal? Well, I mean, I, I was born into it. Uh, my father was also a North Carolinian, but um, he and some buddies, for some reason, went to the University of Georgia back in the early 60s. And so I kind of was born a bulldog, red and black in my blood. So I, you know, I'd been down there pretty much my whole life. I started going to football games with him at an early age. And I went to Coach Dooley's football camp down there when I was young during summers and, and spent a lot of time down there. So it was kind of natural for me to want to go there. And then when I got down there, I worked for the Red and Black Student Newspaper, got my chops uh, 
started writing sports for them, and then also worked for the local uh, college radio station, WUOG, and did some sports broadcasting, read the morning sports brief, did a little post-game show during football season for the radio station. So I kind of did both there, not knowing which direction I was going to go after college, but I felt like I'd have a little bit of both, and that way that made me a little more marketable as I got out in the real world. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, I was saying earlier, I don't know if you heard when I was introducing you, that uh, the coaching legend feature in FNF Coaches, it's a monthly feature that we do. And I think we started it, and obviously you've done a great job with it, and that's the reason we, okay. we've continued to do it every month. But one of the things that I really like about it and the reason we keep doing it is um, the the perspective that these coaches offer. These are coaches in, in many cases. You know, they're, they're some of the winningest coaches at the high school level uh, ever, you know, coaches who have won yeah. 300, 400 games, which yeah. when you think about it, you know, 10, 12 wins a year for 30, 40 years, it's crazy. Right. But um, what I've really enjoyed with it is just the perspective where these are coaches that, you know, obviously they're winning games, they're winning championships, they're at the top of their profession. But when you hear them reflect on their career, um, kind of, you know, towards towards the end of it, because uh, a lot of these coaches are, you know, in their late 60s or 70s. Uh, it seems that they really have an appreciation for not so much, you know, obviously if you're in the sport for 30 or 40 years, you you can do the X's and O's just like anybody else. And, and you, um, you, you care about the wins and losses just like anybody else, but it's, you hear them talk about the people, the people they've met, their mentors, the people that they've been able to mentor, the, the student athletes that they've had that have now become, coaches themselves or doctors, mm-hmm. lawyers. And it's just, it's a great perspective that I think uh, our coaches really enjoy reading. What, what have you gotten out of that, um, out of that regular feature that you've been writing? Yeah, well, you know, the thing I've gotten out of it the most is obviously, you know, growing up in North Carolina, covered North Carolina football the last 20 years or so, spent 10 years in Georgia covering football down there, kind of South Carolina in between us. So I know a little bit about what goes on in the Palmetto State, but really my high school football world is is, is three states here in the southeastern United States. So, you know, when we first started this, I looked at the top active 25 coaches in America, and I recognize some of the names on the list. Uh, John McKissick out of South Carolina, Somerville. I mean, he coached A.J. Green, I believe. And then uh, a guy named Tommy Knotts out of uh, Dutch Fork, South Carolina. He's won some state championships down there. He's also won a bunch in the Charlotte area. His high school won six in a row um, when he was at Independence High School in Charlotte. And I think he uh, coached Chris Leak, who went on to play for Urban Meyer and won a national championship down at Florida. Sure. So, you know, I knew some of those names, but there are guys on this on this list, of course, I've never heard of, communities I've never heard of, you know, schools I've never heard of. So that's been the interesting thing to me is to talk to these guys in different parts of the world to find out, you know, what goes on in their world. I mean, the guy in Wisconsin and, and the guy in Michigan and Indiana, places like that that – I mean, been to, as a matter of fact. And, and you know, you, you find out what football is like in their communities. Um, the guy in Wisconsin said, yeah, we got some six-man football teams or eight-man football teams out here. And, of course, I've never seen an eight-man football game in my life. So that's what's been most rewarding for me is to talk to these guys and, and find out what their football is like in their particular community and their particular state across this uh, great union. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Uh, you know what's interesting that I found is you kind of when you think when we're discussing story themes, we're always thinking, kind of uh, putting uh, coaches in categories, and we're saying, you know, this we're going to write a story about some new technology that coaches are using 
in game or in practice. And then we always think, all right, who are the young coaches, the coaches that are in their late twenties or they're in their thirties and they've gotten these mm-hmm. head coaching jobs. Cause they're going to be motivated to use new technology. And then mm-hmm. when we think of uh, legendary coaches, we think of guys who are probably stuck in their ways and they're still doing the things the way they've always done it. But a lot of these coaches have really embraced new technology. They've evolved. Some of us, uh, some of them are using catapult and some of the GPS technology. A lot of them, most of them are using Huddle, and they're they're using the technology that um, the coaches in their 20s and 30s are using. And you, you do a good job about asking about that. What are the new things that you're using? What are the things that you've learned? How have you evolved as a coach? What what surprised you that that you found? I mean, you, you don't want to lump all these veteran coaches into one category, but what, what are some of the things that you found when talking to these coaches that maybe you weren't expecting? Well, I have to be honest with you. Um... The fact I know this is kind of basic, but but the email. I mean, you know, the, these guys are using email, and I know that might sound strange, but I I had a situation. I kind of tell people, kind of laugh about. I had a coach up here one time who who said I don't use email, and <laughs> no, he said I don't know how to attach a document to an email, and I thought you know I found that kind of strange, but uh, I mean you're right. These guys are, are using Twitter, which you know seems to be a a younger coach, a younger person's type of social media platform. Um, they're using Huddle, which which I got to experience firsthand as, as my son was a quarterback at the uh, high school here in town. And and these guys would, would have the highlights of the games up before he'd even be home, you know, from from having a, a, a burger and a milkshake at the at the local uh, hamburger place. And so, you know, you're right, they're using technology. And, and I think the young guys probably have a little bit better footing on that kind of stuff. But, but I think if you're a good coach, you know, you've got to evolve with the times. And I think these guys seem to be willing to do that, even though they are, you know, 30, 40 years deep into their careers. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I want to ask you about a story um, as, as we're talking about kind of coaches evolving and using new technology we did a story earlier this week in FNF Coaches Talk, the state of Texas, and I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw this one, but um, yes, I'll, I'll explain the story. The uh, I think it's the University Interscholastic League is the state association for uh, uni- uh, for Texas football, and what they're talking about doing uh, in 2020 is allowing uh, communication from a coach who's going to be holding a walkie-talkie mm-hmm. into a quarterback's headset, yeah. uh, and that, that could be used now it's already legal in practice, but they're going to allow it possibly mm. in games. And what they do in the NFL, just to kind of give our, our listeners an idea of how this technology is used, what they it is allowed in the NFL. And what they typically do is they allow it up until about 15 to 20 seconds left on the play clock, and okay. then they shut it down. So it's not okay. like during the actual play, the coach is saying, hey, you know, hit number 84 right now. Right. He's running a crossing route, you know, hit him right now. It's more... Hey, you know, they're it looks like it looks like they're in a cover two. If the safety slides down and, and tries to pick up the crossing route, maybe we want to hit something deep. You know, it's it's just kind of giving them a couple of tips after you call the right. play. Or maybe you call two plays and then you look at the defensive formation and you say, Hey, let's go with A instead of B. Um so it's not actually talking them through the down, but it's giving them maybe a, an extra tip or two to try to help them be successful. Now we put that in FNF coaches talk and it was almost a 50-50 split the response with mm. a lot of coaches saying hey I love that idea as long as you're allowing uh you know also the communication into one player on the defense's headset then you know maybe the middle linebacker is saying hey you know 
they're in a spread right now or they're going to run an RPO here or watch for the play action or something like that. As long as it's equal on offense and defense, these coaches welcomed it. And mm-hmm. then we had 50% of the coaches say, hey, I don't like this. Uh, you know, that's too much for high school football. That's too much technology. And a lot of it, you know, there. I, th- I think there are two reasons that uh, coaches kind of push back on this type of thing. One, none of us really like change, right? You know, so right. at any time something changes, you think you, your team just went 10 and one or 11 and 0 last year. And you think you've got a great grasp for your in-game com- uh, grasp on your in-game communication. Then they're going to welcome this. It's a new, a new challenge, something new to learn. And we all kind of resist that at first. Number two budgets, you know, like this is, well, uh, yeah. this, this is going to be something else. that's going to cost money. And if you're having trouble just raising enough money for jerseys and helmets, there's no way you're going to, you know, go out and purchase this technology. So I think coaches that have low budget, um, you know, low budget schools are saying this is just something else that's going to separate us and differentiate us from the high budget schools and make it more difficult for us to win. What do you think of that uh, technology? Well, I think that technology is great. I mean, you see it in the NFL on uh, Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays and everything. And I guess even sometimes when the communication breaks down, you'll see the referee say, all right, both you guys have got to or you got to cut yours off because he's having some some technical difficulties on this side. Um, I can see why some of the high school coaches would not want to do it. Certainly, as you mentioned, the uh, the budgetary stuff. I mean, you've got some of these schools that, that I've talked to, these coaches that have really, really, really active booster clubs. And you can tell. They're pumping a lot of money into high school football, and and so you're right. You've got some places where where the haves and the have-nots, and uh, some smaller schools, smaller rural communities, they're not going to have that kind of money to do that. These the, in these one A schools. I mean, I've talked to some guys. They have 200 kids in the whole nine through 12, and and that's not enough parents to support technology like that. Uh, maybe the other thing is that. You know, once they get to college, they've got to take the signals in from the backup quarterback and the GA standing over there on the sideline. And and so if you're trying to prepare these kids to play college football, certainly they won't have that technology now in college football. So maybe there's some concern from the coaches there that, you know, these guys, they'd be too reliant on that. And once they get into college, they'll have to take those signals in from uh, somebody on the sideline. But, uh, I mean, it's just amazing the kind of things that are going in. I mean, the technological stuff that I read in the magazine is just incredible. I've seen some stuff that, you know, you never would have imagined, uh, you know, drones uh, filming practice and drones filming uh, uh, games and and so forth. And um, some of the other um, physical athletic weight room type of stuff that's going on. I mean, it's just really incredible. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, I wonder when instant replay is coming. That's got to be the next thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, so that some schools, they allow in, so Texas actually does in the state in the state finals. That's what I thought. I thought somebody yeah. was doing this at replay, and I, it wouldn't be surprised if it is Texas. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So they well they allow it in the state championship games because okay. those are in. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what the stadium is called that the Dallas Cowboys play. A-K-T. in. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. So it's uh they play there. So uh, you know they have resources to all, yeah. all the camera equipment and the the jumbotron, which is like world record size right and so uh they do it for the state championship games because they have the technology there and they can do it and they say if we if we can get the call right that we that we didn't get right initially let's do it but um yeah no you're right instant replay it's 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 next for sure you know that reminds me of another story that we did this week um on a minnesota coach who actually, and this is kind of goes along with our theme of technology and how it's getting, you know, it's it's getting crazy and coaches really need to kind of adjust to the way that 
high school coach uh, football is being coached. But a Minnesota coach, actually, um, he was at Lake Lakeville South uh, mm-hmm. High School, and he took a job at a rival school as a as an assistant coach at a at a rival school. But he still had his password to nope. to Lakeville South's email accounts and yep. huddle accounts. <laughs> And so what I think he did, and I think it was a mistake that got him caught. I don't think he was. So what he did was he he posted on the Huddle website a practice schedule, and it was all the wrong practice times for Lakeville South. Now I don't think he I I don't think he intended to say, hey, show up to the field house at three today when practice was really at four, and then everybody gets all screwed up and they're at the they're at the wrong time. And I don't think he did that deliberately. I think what he did was he was signed into the wrong Huddle account. And he accidentally copied and pasted his, yeah, his right. team's yeah. schedule. Uh, but the fact that he was still going into the huddle account, he was still going into that school's email, he ended up losing his job and he's on um, getting investigated and all that stuff. But it's crazy for coaches now because now you have to worry about cybersecurity. And, um, you know, have you heard anything about how coaches are having to take <laughs> extra precautions now with the rise of technology or any pushback where people say it's just too much? This technology is getting out of control. We just want it to be, you know, dropped. Yeah, I, mean, I, I can't think of anything around here where we've had any kind of breach uh, with a huddle or anything like that. You know, of course, I guess in the news recently is, is this filming of practices. And, of course, you know, the Patriots were accused of doing that not too many years ago. And, and maybe there was somebody else that came up here recently about filming somebody's practice. We haven't. I can't think of anything like that around here. But, you know, you talk about the technology for the coaches. I mean, being in radio, I mean, when I first started doing this 30 years ago, play-by-play on Friday nights, I mean, it was very, very simple. I mean, you had a phone cord. You plugged it up into the phone jack inside the press box. You put a set of headsets on, and, you know, the guy back at the radio station puts you on the air. I mean, now we're using Wi-Fi, and we're using video, and we're using uh, two cameras, and we're using – you know, one camera on the scoreboard to show the running clock and, 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 and one camera down there showing the band at halftime. So even, you know, the media has been able to experience um, the, the, the rise in technology doing high school football. So, so you can only imagine what the coaches are going to be able to do going forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, I know you're um, a Georgia guy, probably a big college football fan. Uh, who do you like in the national championship game? And uh, has there been anything that you've seen during the bowl season that kind of jumped out <laughs> to you from a from a coaching perspective? As hey, this this team's running this this crazy scheme, or this coach made this adjustment, or anything that you've seen that's really jumped out? Well, first I got to see LSU up close and personal in the Georgia Dome or the Mercedes Benz place in Atlanta the first week in December, and they pretty much took us to the woodshed. I thought we <laughs> had a chance to. To you know, win the game as certain things happen, but but LSU was just so dynamic this year, and and that offense, Burrow. I mean, I I don't know if I've seen anything like that before in a long, long time. So I got to see what they were doing, you know, close up and personal. Obviously, being here in the Carolinas, uh, Clemson is is one of the top schools around here, so we get a lot of a lot of Dabo, and and you know, you got to be impressed with what he's done there. I mean, it seems to really be reloading, maybe even more than than Saban is reloading, and that's you know that's a credit to him right there, and. You know, I guess Clemson, you know, got a little bit of flack this year about their schedule and playing in the ACC, and you know, I understand that. And you know, Dabo can only play who is on his schedule, and and I kind of felt like going into the college football playoff uh, semifinals that that maybe, 
you know LSU would be would be better tested. Um, Ohio State, even in the Big Ten, and you know the Big Ten has had some 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 issues with you know strength of schedule and, and their teams not getting in it because of you know a lack of, of of competition. I thought, well, Ohio State has played some pretty good teams this year. Maybe maybe Clemson hadn't quite had the schedule. They haven't been challenged, haven't been tested a whole lot throughout the season. So I kind of thought Ohio State was going to win that game, and certainly they they had opportunities to win it, but. Boy, when uh, Clemson turned it on in the second half of that game against Ohio State, I was like, okay, well, you know, they are as good as, as we think they are. I mean, you know, we knew they were talented, but we just weren't sure because, you know, it's kind of hard to tell when you're playing Wake Forest and, and, and Boston College and Syracuse and, and Virginia Tech and some of those teams. So that, that was the first thing. And so now you talk about LSU and Clemson. And, you know, my gosh, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I would like to think that, that LSU can, can beat them as an SEC guy. I'm not pulling for LSU because I'm an SEC guy, but but you look at what they've done offensively. I mean, can Clemson's defense slow them down? And and that'll be the key. But 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 that kid um, Trevor Lawrence for Clemson is one heck of a quarterback. And when he took off the other night on that run and and outran everybody from Ohio State, I was like, wow, this this guy really can take uh, take a team on his on his shoulders and, and lead them to a to a victory and maybe a second straight championship. But uh, I mean, I like the bowls. I mean, I really do. I mean. And, you know, I know the bowls uh, get a little criticism, too, sometimes because, oh, there are too many of them and there's nobody in the stands and so forth. But, you know, the only thing I'll say about the bowls that that I've kind of noticed this year that's happened the last several years with the with the players sitting out and the coaching changes is is a lot of times the 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 team that is picked in December to play these bowl games is not the same team that shows up in January because of the coaching changes. I mean, now you've got an assistant coach, an interim guy coaching the team because the other guy's gone off somewhere else. You've got the guys sitting out um, to get ready for the NFL. So a lot of times you're just not the same team. And, and, you know, I can understand where, um, you know, the bowls probably aren't a big indication of, 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 of how your team was during the year, and it may not be a big springboard for the next year because, you know, it's, it's a new season. You've got new personnel. But from a pure entertainment standpoint, I mean, I love the bowl games. I mean, I really enjoy watching these things. I watched a ton of them this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the different communities and the places these bowl games are and the sponsors. And I think the kids like going to the bowl games too. And I, that's got to be the most important thing, you know, rewarding these kids to go to the bowl games because end of the day, I mean, that's what they're there for is to reward teams and coaches for – for for a good regular season, and so um, I say let's let's keep the ball system the way it is. Yeah, absolutely. Now we had uh, we actually when you were talking about Clemson, we actually had Trevor Lawrence on the cover of our. We used to do an F FNF Friday Night Football Georgia magazine. Oh yeah, and um, he was on the cover one year. So I was mm-hmm. working with the photographer of that school. I think he went to mm-hmm. Cartersville, mm-hmm. and um, the photographer said he used to anytime he was. At the airport, and he used to go a lot because he had um, he was taking he was flying around and shooting different games all over the country. I think he was working for uh, one of the universities in Georgia. But anyway, he was saying uh, Trevor Lawrence. Every time he was in the airport, he would see these coaches land, uh, yeah. and it was you know Alabama, Nick Saban, and um, okay. you know Dabo, and all all these great coaches coming through terminals to go visit Trevor Lawrence. Whereas you know a lot of times you see position coaches or recruiting coordinators but it was the head coaches coming in because he was that big and it's funny to see interesting to see over the last few years like yeah he was absolutely worth the hype he's gonna um you know possibly be the number one pick in the nfl draft next or what is it 2021 yeah um so he's been unbelievable but one other thing and then i'll let you get going i wanted to ask you about this um 
because it's interesting. You you talk to these legendary coaches, and a lot of them you hear them say, you know, it, I never really wanted. I never had eyes on a bigger, you know, college job or you know, try to get an, a job at the bottom in the NFL and then uh, work my way up or anything like that. But it seems at the college level. There is, you know, it seems like there is that temptation for these guys to try it at the top level. We just saw Matt Rule uh, yeah. ended up down there in Carolina with the Panthers, and uh, I thought he sounded great in his press conference yeah, yesterday. I, I, you know, I, I'm a Panthers fan because of proximity to, to living in the area, and, and I don't like that hire, too. Yeah, and so he, you know, when he talked about it, he said, uh, you know, I love football and I want to do it at the highest level. And so this is the way for me to test myself. And it was just a matter of figuring, finding the right opportunity. But then you, you were just mentioning Dabo and I wonder why his name doesn't come up and maybe he is content at Clemson. And I wonder if he will have that itch, maybe like Nick Saban did or uh, some of these other top college guys, Spurrier, who end up going to the NFL and trying yeah. to hand. Yeah. What, what do you make of that? Do you think Dabo will ever do that? And how do you kind of um, split hairs on whether they should be content at the college level and really try to form a dynasty like Dabo has or, or do what Matt Rule's doing and, um, you know, try your, try your hand at the highest level? Well, you know, Matt Rule had coached in the NFL prior to going to college. I think he might have been in the NFL. Actually, he started at Western Carolina, up not too far from me, up in the mountains of North Carolina. And um, I've talked to some folks who were in school up there, remember him as a young coach. Uh, but I guess he was in the NFL before he went to Temple and went to then Baylor. So I guess he kind of had the NFL itch any anyway i mean a guy like dabo that's been in college his whole life i mean he i mean he played for uh, uh alabama and um i think he was a, a, a ga at clemson before he got uh, an assistant coaching job and and a guy like that just seems to be comfortable in the college atmosphere i mean he's he's a he's a down home kind of kind of fatherly folksy kind of guy and and you know i wouldn't ever suspect him of going to the uh, to the nfl you know spurrier he had an offense that i think he kind of wanted to to try and see if he could uh, replicate that in the nfl and i think he thought he could and obviously he wasn't able to do it and he was gone in you know in a year and a half um you know these high school guys i've only spoke to one of the seven or six or seven i've done the last couple of years i've only spoke to one that's had any college coaching experience the guy i'm working on right now mm-hmm. out of mississippi high school coach got a chance to go coach for jackie Sherrill as alma mater in Starkville, and he's back in high school coaching now. But most of these guys, you're right. I mean, they, they've been high school coaches from the beginning. And some of them at their alma mater. Some of them where they played high school football. Some of them you know, nearby where they played high school football. So I guess sometimes these guys just settle into to what they're comfortable with. And, and, and I think a lot of these guys who've been ultra successful on the high school level are guys that have just coached high school football. And, you know, what, what can you say? I mean, you know, you can't argue with their success. Success. I mean, three and four hundred wins, and you know, multiple state. I mean, it's got, these guys have won double-digit state championships. Yeah. I mean, the guy I talked to uh, this week in Mississippi had won six in a row until this year. So these guys are highly successful, and you know, why not? You know, stay where you are if you're if you're winning ball games and and and, and making impact on 
on young men. I mean, you know, college football is tough. It's a year-round job. I mean, the recruiting and the and, and the social media, the, the reaching out to the players that you've got to do. I mean, that's a tough job to be a college coach. And, and I get high school coaches year-round, but it's not really year-round like college football is. And even the NFL is not year-round, if you think about it. Um, I mean, the whole recruiting aspect of college football makes it really, really difficult. And I'm not sure everybody wants to do that, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're right. Yeah, and it's, you know, the grass isn't always greener. You know, you go no, sometimes, no. sometimes you see these guys go and they, you know, like I mentioned Spurrier or uh, Saban. Who, Harbaugh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Harbaugh's kind of in the midst of it right now. All right. Well, Derek, I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time. Like I said, we've been on for a half an hour. So, um, uh, you know, this has been great, great stuff. And uh, what what I'll do is... I'm going to um, say goodbye to you and let you get going, and then I'll just close out the podcast. So I uh, really appreciate you taking the time, and um, thanks so much. I enjoyed it, Dan. Hope you and your family got off to a great uh, new year, 2020, and look forward to continuing to do some work with you guys. I'm working on a piece for a, out of coach out of Mississippi for our next legend feature, and uh, I'm going to be wrapping that up in the next day or so, and I'll get it out to you. That sounds great. Yeah, looking forward to reading that one, and same to you and your family. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take okay. care. Okay, you too. Uh, that was Derek Smith, and we loved having him on. He's one of our um, he's one of our top guys, and you know he does that legend feature, like I mentioned. Uh, just to give you a little bit of um, admin news here, so like I said in the beginning, we've got that February edition. Derek just mentioned he's got that great legend feature on a Minnesota coach coming up. It's the Coach of the Year edition. We've got a couple of other strength and conditioning theme stories that I think you'll really enjoy. Uh, we're kind of right in the thick of that and starting to design it, so uh, we're excited about it, and that's going to be fun. Other things to look for, keep an eye out for future podcasts. This one's going to go up on our website. We did a couple of demos in November and December, and now we're we're doing the real thing. So we hope you like it. Give us feedback. Um, this is the first one that you're probably listening to. If you like it, let us know. If you think of things that we can improve, let us know, because uh, we're going to try to get better as we go. And then uh, other things to look for, FNF Coaches Talk on the website. That's a daily post. Check in with us every day. Follow us on Twitter at FNFCoaches.com. And then we'll see about putting this, um, you know, as we go, we'll probably look at putting this podcast up on iTunes. But for now, subscribe to the magazine at FNFCoaches.com. Hit the subscribe tab at the top. And other than that, we're going to get going. So we appreciate you taking the time to listen. Thank you. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.